0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
1: Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello. Here with me, Matt Myers, MLB.com national editor. Matt, Hello.
0: Hello, Mike. How are you?
1: I'm doing great, Matt. We are going to um, have some conversation just you and I this week. We're not going to have a guest because Will Leach, my uh, MLB Plus co-host, told me how much he enjoys hearing you and I talk about baseball, so that's exactly what we're going to do.
0: Well, that's nice to hear.
1: I thought so. Uh, we are going to get a whole bunch of fun stuff in just a second. Please note you can now find the podcast at stackcastpodcast.com. Much easier to remember, please tell your friends. And please also note that next week we're gonna have a very special in studio guest we're really excited about, and I hope you listen because I think you're gonna get a lot out of it. Uh, today we're gonna to talk about some interesting stuff. We have a record breaking home run in Texas. We have uh, some interesting defensive numbers that we've really come up with that I think you know are kind of cool that aren't out there that much. We're going to talk about the Tigers and their incredible fastball spin. We're going to talk about Jose Fernandez, who's had one of the weirdest stretches of pitching I think either of us have ever seen. And we're also going to talk about the team leading baseball in home runs that you would never, ever think would be leading baseball in home runs. So let's get right to that record-breaking home run. Nomar Mazara from Texas, who uh, hit a 490-foot Uh, excuse me, 491-foot home run in Texas against Hector Santiago, an absolute blast. And uh, I think it's something we need to dive into a little bit because it it raises some interesting questions about what goes into home run distance, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, it was... Anytime there's one of these record-breaking home run distances by StatCast measurements, there's always, like, a little bit of, like, oh, like, you know, some questions about the measurement because, obviously, home run distances have always been kind of this... A little bit of a nebulous thing in Statcast is one of the uh, we think most we think is the most advanced attempt to really make a science of home run measurements. Um, so Mazzaro's home run obviously you know got people excited for and anyone feet, like hey I I got to see this. But obviously home run distances can sometimes be a little deceiving on the eyes. This one it, it went to the second deck in Texas. And it was, you couldn't really see, you didn't get to see it travel as far as maybe some other home runs.
1: Well, we should clarify that too. When we say distance, we, we're measuring projected distance. So it's not, it's not where did it land in the seats. It's where would it have landed if not for the seats or the stands or whatever, if it had just an unencumbered path, you know, to the ground. So obviously it didn't quite go 491 feet. It went, you know, some were shorter than that, but that's where we expect it would have gone if there was nothing there. Um, so he hit this ball at 108 miles an hour, which is obviously really good, and he hit it at a 27 degree launch angle. And so, those are two of the most important things that go into batted ball distance, right? You got to hit the ball hard, and you got to not hit it straight up or down, right? Yeah, Top
0: and to, to give a little more context, launch angle, you know, the line drives. I mean, 25 to 30 is basically home runs. That's like sort of the home run. That's like the, the peak home yeah. run range is 25 to 30. Zero is right back at the pitcher's release point. Uh, Anything negative is basically like a ground ball hit right into the yeah, right into the ground.
1: 25 to 30 is the real sweet spot. Like that narrow five degree band has almost 40% of home runs this year, it's just within there. I think the lowest we've ever seen last year, Stanton hit one at 11 degrees, an absolute like frozen rope laser. You don't see that too often. That's the lowest I think I've ever seen, but yeah, that 25 to 30, like that's where you want to be. And he hit this one 27 degrees,
0: yeah. Um, so it was basically it was the perfect sweet spot. Obviously, 108, 108 off the bat. That's...
1: I, I believe our friend Darren Willman tweeted this out the other day that if you have that combination, it, it's a home run 100% of the time. Obviously, this is a no-doubt home run, right? So it's not really the question of was it over the fence or not. It's by how far. And so what that kind of brings us to is, you know, what, what are the, the other things that affect batted ball distance? So obviously, exit velocity, you got to hit the ball hard, launch angle. But you know, you think about it. There's a lot of uh, of environmental inputs, right? Elevation, obviously. Coors Field, if you're this wasn't a Coors Field, but you know, if you have thin air, that can really affect how far the ball goes. Everybody knows that. Uh, Temperature, right? The balls, if the uh, temperature and humidity, if the if the night is really hot. Um, that obviously has an effect on, on how far the ball goes. I think we talked about this a couple weeks ago when Jordy Mercer had the longest home run of the year, and the, uh, the Pirates had three of the five longest at the time because it was a really hot and humid night in Arizona. With the roof open. With the roof open. Um, wind, obviously, wind. And this kind of brings us to what we're talking about with Mazzara because it was a windy night, in, uh, windy afternoon in, uh, in Dallas that day, uh, and we looked into this. He hit the home run at 1.42 p.m. Central Time, and at that time, the wind was 10 to 12 miles an hour from the south-southwest, Given the orientation of the park, it was right at his back. So that served to push the ball further, which is a really big and important part of
0: that. Exactly. And research done by Dr. Alan Nathan has shown that every extra 5 miles per hour of wind, assuming it's blowing in the right direction, which it was in this case, can add approximately 18 feet of distance uh, for an exit speed of 100 to 105 miles an hour and a launch angle of,
1: of 25 to 30. 30 degrees. So, so we this- could be
0: looking at, you know, 35 to 40 feet added on to what would be, like, if Mazzara hit that in a vacuum, we may be looking at a 450 foot home run, and we've seen other home runs with those specifications go about 450 feet, but Mazzara, perfect timing, right. and 491. It was,
1: and it was Texas, right? yes. It was a
0: warm day that day, too.
1: So, it, it really, it's a combination of all these things. Like, and, you know, you watch, the, you watch the replay, obviously, he crushed that ball, no doubt about that, but I think the fact that um, you know, some of the other home runs that have had a similar angle and velocity that haven't quite gone as far, it just they haven't had, like, the environmental impact
0: and a side note on that is like, for example, last night, Chris Davis had a controversial foul ball. Uh, it was ruled a home run, they ruled it foul. But what, and then this morning David Price tweeted, oh, that was the most majestic home run I've ever seen. I want to see some stat cast on it. And it, it certainly was majestic. It was a 43-degree launch angle and a 103 miles prior off the bat. 43-degree launch angle. Exactly. This is about <laughs> as high as you've seen we've seen a home run this year. But because it was the way it was hit in Baltimore where there's no upper deck there you know, it was very deceiving because it was in the air. You watched it in the air for, like, seven seven seconds. So it seems like it goes a lot farther than it does. It actually went a little over 400 feet, which is basically the norm for balls with those specifications. But it, if you were just watching that versus the Mazzara home run, it would it would almost seem more impressive because you got to watch the entire flight of the ball, you know, all the way onto, what is it, Utah Street at uh, Camden Yards. So it's sort of, this, this is part of why with home run distances, it can be very deceiving. Uh, in terms of what you see and what seems like a longer home run than others
1: yeah and people don't know uh, i think just with their eyeballs don't always look at the dist- the difference in distances in parks right like obviously some parks can be 25 30 feet difference in fence and you just don't kind of think about that as you're saying oh well it hit the stands right so there can be big differences hey real quick on mazara sleeper rookie of the year candidate because we're talking about you know this home run he turned 21 at the end of april and he's crushing the ball right now 302 348 Four seventy nine. That's batting average on base and slugging. It's very very good. He's got to be. He's here. I mean, the the
0: AL crop is not that great. I could see Michael Fulmer if he starts to put things together. um, A pretty decent prospect who's going to get chances to start. um, But. The AL crop of rookies is not—Byron yeah. Buxton and Jose Barrios have not really— uh, Not worked out for the Twins. Beyond Hill Park, I guess, if he heats back up, could be a candidate. I'm, but
1: a, I'm a big fan of Michael Givens, but uh, non-closing relievers are just never going to get yeah, anything.
0: I'd say it's, it's Mazzaro's—I uh, don't want to say Mazzaro's to lose, but I'd say he's— uh,
1: Especially if he keeps hitting 491-foot home runs.
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> but enough about balls that have no chance of being caught. Let's talk about some baseballs. That do get caught in the outfield.
1: That was that was a sweet segue. I like that. Uh, so th- I thought this was interesting. We uh, we talked about this a few weeks ago. I think we were talking about Matt Harvey's issues that uh, maybe the Mets outfield defense wasn't really helping him out very much. And uh, so I, I put some thought into this, and I came up with a list of. I was trying to find balls that go to the outfield that could, in theory, be caught. Right. So obviously home runs, forget about it. Uh, ground balls, you know, forget about it. And what I came up with was uh, non-home run fly balls and line drives. That went between 200 and 400 feet. And the idea there is 200 feet is far enough so it's beyond the infielders. 400 feet isn't so far that it's going to be a home run that nobody has a chance to catch it. Uh, you know, this isn't perfect. I didn't control for, for positioning or anything like that. But I thought it was really interesting because if you look at this type of batted ball, there's been almost 50,000 of them in the stack. Majorly average is 499, which is great. That's perfect, right? That's exactly what you want. That's exactly what you want because that's the kind of ball like, okay, you know, 50% you do or you don't. That's really where you would think talent or at least positioning would really kind of help you stand apart from the rest. So we compared the teams, uh, you know, their performance last year and their performance through the first two months of this year, and I thought the results were kind of interesting, and I went into it assuming, hey, I bet you the, you know, Mets probably aren't going to show up that well. They, were the, they took the second biggest step back, right? So he said 499 is the average on this kind of ball. Last year, the Mets are above average, a, a 458 average against. This year, 506, so slightly below average. And I think that kind of goes exactly what we were talking about with the Mets. You know, interesting outfield alignment where Cespedes is playing center, but Valgaris is a better center fielder. But the way the bats work, we've been over this a couple of times. No
0: question. Um, yeah
1: but it, so i thought it was interesting the teams that, that actually got better and uh I, I love any opportunity to focus on the braves right now in a positive way because it's a tough season for them the braves got the had the third best improvement they were uh, 491 last year and they actually jumped all the way up to 438 right it's so obviously lower is better it's batting average that's really good and i think if you look at it it's not hard to see why ender Ciarte acquired for shelby miller who was a really really good defensive outfield last year and malik smith who came over uh, in one of the trades from San Diego? He's been a star out
0: there. He's one of the fastest guys in baseball, so it's not surprising that he can uh, cover ground like that. NCR Day, my guess is there's a good chance <laughs> he'll be a trade candidate. This,
1: uh... yeah, well, NCR Day came over, but you're right, and I, I think when you look at that deal, uh, it's not just the fact that they got you know Swanson and, and all the you know Aaron Blair and this prospect sort of thing. It's the fact that NCR Day is a pretty good player, right? <laughs> I mean, he's undervalued, I think.
0: But the team that, the two teams that have made the biggest jumps. Uh, number two is fascinating. Chicago Cubs. Cubs are good at everything. And it's, you Here's know, obviously J- Jason Hayward was the big signing because of defense, and it seems to be we, we've showing up in the numbers.
1: invented a metric here, essentially, and they're number two in that. Like, there's nothing the Cubs aren't great at. But you're absolutely right. I mean, Jason Hayward, everybody's trying to – how do you quantify – the the defense he adds and you know I I don't want to say it's all Jason Hayward because we've also talked about the Dexter Fowler and he's changed his positioning and uh, I think that's a big deal and the lack of Kyle Schwarber you know unfortunately but no one would have said he's a gold glove outfielder so I think that all goes into it but clearly a team that takes a a big step forward like that it's a 70 point difference in batting average I I look right to Jason Hayward.
0: It, it has to be, and it also justifies, at least for now, the fact that he is hitting like a... Well, we don't need to talk about that.
1: <laughs> but he is at least co- coming forward with the glove. The number one team, and uh, I made a joke... The ter-
0: number one team in terms of upgrade. We should clarify, who's the number one team yes. in this? The number one team is the same team who was the number one team last year.
1: It's the Tampa Bay Rays. And I'm going to say a lot of that is Kevin Kiermaier, but it's not all Kevin Kiermaier. I think a lot of
0: it's positioning. Yeah, know.
1: absolutely. He's been injured. He hasn't, he hasn't played the last couple, of years, or a couple of weeks. Uh, so, yes, the Tampa Bay Rays prevent more of these batted balls... Uh, these non-home run flies and liners between 200 feet and 400 feet last year they were at 427 when again the average is 499 this year at 414 so it's really you don't have to look at it at batting average you can just say 42 percent of those balls dropped and this year only 41 percent of those balls dropped so they're doing a really good job of preventing that kind of uh, that kind of hit uh, the number one team. I was very surprised to see this. It's actually the Dodgers. The Dodgers were slightly below average last year, uh, 5.28. This year they're 4.35. They've cut almost 100 points of batting average off of that kind of ball. That's a huge deal.
0: What do you attribute? What do? You, what would you attribute that to? Uh,
1: shockingly, Yasiel Puig. Okay. Yasiel Puig has not really been hitting that well this year, and it's been a big disappointment. But on defense, he's been fantastic. Uh, I looked this up. He's made four catches this year where he's had to travel at least 95 feet. He didn't do that once all of last year. We're only two months into the season. He has made such a huge step forward in the outfield. We all know the throwing arm. This doesn't even really account for arm. It's all about range. Yeah. Uh, he has really made a, a big step up in the outfield. And, you know, you look at the Dodger outfield. Jock Peterson, about the same as he was last year. Less Andre Ethier has been hurt. Less Carl Crawford, who hasn't been playing that much. Uh, I think that helps, too. But I, that's, like, almost all Yossiel Puig to me.
0: Sure seems that way. And uh, while we're talking about uh, run prevention, I'd like another one of my Oh, is this, segues. Okay, okay. To talk about a pitcher who's preventing runs like few others right now. Jose
1: Fernandez. Jose Fernandez. I feel like not enough people are talking about Jose Fernandez. Uh, There's a couple reasons. One is, you know, it's not hard to find an insanely good starting pitcher right now. You can talk about Arrieta Kershaw and on and on and on. Um, And I think also he got off to a slower than expected start. Not totally unexpected, given that he's not terribly far off of elbow surgery. But if you look at his last five starts... 0.79 0.79 ERA, right? 49 strikeouts in 34 innings, uh, opponents hitting 183 against him. That's absurd, and I know you found a strikeout percentage that that is kind of off the charts. Yeah,
0: right now he is leading the, um, the majors in strikeout percentage, 36%, which if it holds, obviously a lot of ways to go, would be the third highest in baseball history behind number one, Pedro Martinez, 1999, 37.5%. And Randy Johnson, 2001, 37.4%. So 36% would be third all-time behind two of the greatest pitching seasons. Oh, don't
1: don't sell it short, because the next two names on that list are also Pedro and Randy Johnson <laughs>
0: from different seasons. Yes, Pedro 2000 and Randy Johnson 2000. I think
1: we looked at the top 10. The top 10 is entirely either Pedro or Randy Johnson, and, and this year's Clayton Kershaw. That is that's along correct. Along with Jose Fernandez.
0: So anyway, Jose Fernandez has had the weirdest stretch that you could possibly imagine, because His last five starts, as we noted, he's been virtually unhittable. But in that time span, among starting pitchers, he has the highest exit velocity against of any starting pitcher in baseball, 95.8 miles per hour. And in that group, right below him, Justin Nicolino, Phil Hughes, uh, Danny Salazar, Chad Bettis. So not the best pitchers in baseball right now. And for context, the other side of that list, the lowest exit velocity among starting pitchers is... I think it's number one is Scott Kazmir, at like 83.8 miles per hour. He's been pitching very well. Then it's Kershaw, Arietta, Cueto. The guys you'd expect Eight, But I like But it's a difference of like 13 miles per hour.
1: Yeah, it's a so, big deal. And, and then you have the batted ball distance, too, where he's got the highest batted ball distance against. Number three on that list is Shelby Miller, arguably been the most least least effective pitcher in baseball this
0: year. So it's there's it's very confusing, the stretch that... Uh, Jose Fernandez is in the midst of right now. We've tried to dig into it to try yeah. and figure out how he's so doing he, it.
1: He's unhittable, except that he's also getting crushed. Exactly what you're trying to say.
0: <laughs> well, he's been. Ex- there's been a couple of factors. One of which he's been seemingly unhittable with runner, or and or lucky with runners on base. In that stretch, 99.3 left on base percentage. So basically, he's not letting any base runners. So one, probably yeah, right when <laughs> he won. won. <laughs> um, his K rate with runners in scoring position this season: 40.4. percent only Drew Pomeranz, forty point five percent. My boy Drew Pomeranz is higher, and no one else is above thirty six. So basically, like as we know, it's harder to pitch out of the stretch, but he is somehow his K percentage is even higher. When runners are on, so he three. elevates himself in the biggest spots. You might almost say he's clutch. <laughs> we won't go there. <laughs> and then you found some info about his uh, batted balls and play above 100 miles per hour. Yeah,
1: I, I thought about this because you told me this this morning, and I, I, I thought it was fascinating. Like, how could he be getting hit that hard, but also not be giving up home runs left and right? And I, the first thing I thought of is he has to be getting a little bit lucky, right? Because you can give up 100 miles an hour batted ball. We always talk about marrying exit velocity and launch angle because you know if you hit 100 miles an hour and straight up, it's a pop up. So we looked this up. Uh, Since May 9, this is his last five starts, he has given up 15 batted balls of 100 miles an hour, seven of them the hits, right? So that's a 466 batting average. And 466, well, that sounds really high, right? Major league average for the year on balls over 100 miles an hour, 617. So he's actually been considerably lower. So that's a little bit of luck. We looked at the spray chart, you know, there's a, you know, ground out to second base, ground out to third base, you know, line out to left field, whether that's the team positioning their players properly or just total dumb luck, he's really been getting fortunate on these hard hit balls.
0: Yeah and it, this is not to take away from Fernandez because obviously he's an incredibly talented pitcher who knows how to miss bats. Yes. So he is <laughs> no unquestionably one of the elite pitchers in baseball but just the 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 different I don't know what the, the framework of his five-game like hot stretch is so. I've never seen anything like it's this. It's so
1: weird. Like he misses bats like nobody else, and then gets hit harder than anybody else. It's just the weirdest thing. And I, I have to go back a little bit too. It's five games, right? Anything can happen over five games. So I'm really, I can't wait to see his next start now because I got. to know if this keeps up, like I have to know. It's going to be awesome. Uh, we're talking about pitching, right? So let's go to a different kind of of top pitching. The the Tigers here because I don't think the Tigers have necessarily been a great pitching staff this year, uh, but they're a very interesting pitching staff, right? I, I think we talked about this a couple weeks ago. When you looked at the top four-seam fastball spin rate guys, starting pitchers from last year, uh, Scherzer, we've, you know, Verlander, Garrett Richards, Rick Porcello, and uh, Jeff Samarja. So, okay, you know, five pretty well-known pitchers. But if you think about it, three of those guys were were Tiger teammates for half a decade in Detroit, even though they weren't last year. And then you realize, well. That's a lot of, of high-spin fastballs there. We couldn't measure it at the time. We had no idea at the time. But, okay, that's interesting. You know, Scherzer's moved on to Washington, and Parcells moved on to Boston, and Verlander's still there. So you thought, well, okay, interesting coincidence, but, you know, they don't really have much high-spin anymore. Well, I looked this up the other day. Four-seam fastball team spin leaders this year, Detroit's still number one. So they lost those two guys, and they still have high-spin on their fastballs. And all of a sudden, you start to think, maybe that's not just a coincidence. Maybe
0: they're doing this on purpose. Exactly. And it's, as we've talked about before, Spin rate, there's a clear, a clear correlation, forcing fastball with spin rate, where a higher spin rate on a forcing fastball kind of gives, that's what gets the quote-unquote rising fastball effect. Uh, the ball defies gravity a little bit longer, and you get a lot more swing strikes and pop-ups when you can throw that pitch effectively up in the zone. It's a big part of, you know, the guy we always come back to, Chris Young doesn't throw that hard, but gets swing strikes anyway because of an incredibly high spin rate.
1: Right, and you can have a low spin rate and be successful too. Low spin sinks, you get grounders. Uh, Brett Anderson, for example, very high ground ball rate on a very low spinning fastball. If you're in the middle, you know, we always go back to Joe Kelly and Nathan Ivaldi. You can throw hard, but if your fastball doesn't move, it's gonna get hit hard. So, uh, I thought that was really interesting. And, you know, you, you kind of think it's not a coincidence necessarily when you look at the guys who they've collected, right? uh you know jordan zimmerman right they went out and they gave jordan zimmerman a huge contract last year because he throws he's got high spin right but he also uses it high and i think this kind of goes back to what you're saying if you have a ball that seems like it's going to defy gravity slightly longer and you keep it high then that's really going to screw with the hitter
0: yeah and to be honest this is one of the reasons why probably i've underrated jordan zimmerman in my mind for many years because he's one of those guys who doesn't miss a ton of bats and so I've always sort of been like, well, it's going to catch up to him. The fact that he doesn't strike out a lot of guys, but he sort of is a harder throwing version of the of the Chris Young template. Of he does get he gets he gets a fair amount of strikeouts, but he's also getting a lot of weak fly balls.
1: Right, and so we looked at you know the, these high spin fastballs, and we kind of I define this as uh, fastballs that were twenty four hundred RPM or higher, and uh, it's arbitrary, I guess, but that's kind of the cutoff point where about 20% of fastballs spin higher than that. So I thought that was a a good cutoff. And uh, I looked at those 2,400 RPM fastballs that were thrown between two and a half and six feet high, which is, you know, essentially that's a very high strike or, you know, above the strike zone in some cases. The Tigers have thrown 26% of their 2,400 plus RPM pitches that high. That's the highest in baseball. The second highest is San Francisco, 21%, Cleveland, 21%, and then uh, Toronto, 17%. The MLB average is only 11%. So they're doing this more than twice as often as anybody else, and they have eight different guys on the staff who are doing that better than average. Now, Verlander, second only to, wait for it, Drew Pomeranz, <laughs> my boy, uh, you know, he, he does it 62% of the time. That's, that's how he's kind of made his comeback, you know, diminished velocity a little bit. High spin fastballs thrown high really worked out well for him. Zimmerman's in the mix there uh you know Mark Lowe who they signed last winter Justin Wilson was a trade from the Yankees Shane Green was a trade for the Yankees Matt Boyd was a trade from the the, uh, Blue Jays for David Price uh Michael Fulmer came over in the Cespedes deal so it really does seem like they're starting to acquire these guys on purpose which is it's a really interesting strategy
0: and for years you know the Tigers were sort of seemingly punting infield defense so to speak when they you know they they had Cabrera at first and they traded for Prince Fielder and they're like oh we're going to put Cabrera at third base, and people were kind of like, well, "What? You know, what? What are they doing?" And looking back, you know, maybe I don't want to maybe don't want to give them too much credit, but it seems like okay, maybe there was a method to this where they were thinking, "Well, we not only do we miss a lot of bats, the guys that do when they do make contact, it's a lot of fly balls." So we knew that they knew that they could sacrifice defense for offense in the infield and they they for the most part have been they've not won the elusive world series title but they've been a very successful team for many years
1: and we should probably clarify that you know this high spin thrown high is not necessarily a magic bullet right like by when done right it's really effective uh, you know uh, hitters last year at a, a 10% swing strike rate on all pitches it was over, over 13% on those kind of pitches but you know obviously there's a lot that goes into it spin is a part of the overall kind of Pitching arsenal, you know, obviously velocity and placement and, and even sequencing is a big deal. So the Tigers staff overall hasn't necessarily been great, and that's in large part because Mike Pelfrey and anibal Sanchez have both struggled a lot and they've made a lot of starts. But it's a really interesting strategy, and I've seen enough guys that they've collected that I, I don't think it's a coincidence. I really do think that this is something they're either teaching or acquiring
0: for. It certainly seems that way.
1: Uh, we got to end with the Mariners here, by the way. I don't know if anybody's noticed Th- Not
0: as graceful of a segue as we've had for it's okay. the previous segments, it's okay
1: That's but... okay. The Mariners. Are leading baseball in home runs right now. They have seventy-seven homers. They have fifty-six more home runs than the Braves do right now. That yeah, is insane. And it's so
0: funny because for so many years it was like their off-season strategy was like let's hit some dingers. You know, it was like let's get Mark Trumbo. You know, yeah. And let's then get these slugger types. This year they sort of went the other direction. They brought in Ayoki. They were like, oh, we're going to try and like build up our OBP.
1: Yeah. They, and they, they got rid of Mike Zunino, who was sent down, had power, but no OBP. Like they kind of changed. Jerry Depoto seemed like he was really trying to change the the athleticism of the roster and here they are crushing home runs
0: yeah and they've you know they appear to be on course to end the longest playoff drought in baseball obviously a lot of baseball let's be played but they're playing great ball with one weird quirk in their home road splits
1: they are are, this is uh, as of wednesday afternoon they are two games below 500 at home 12 and 14 they are 18 and 7 on the road which is fascinating to me. Uh, if you look at it, though, they, you know, they've got 38 homers on the road, which is third best, and they've got 39 home runs at home, which is the best. So it's not really like, you know, it's not a coarse field effect, right? Because obviously Safeco is kind of known as being a hard park to hit in. Uh, they're still hitting home runs at home. It's not just like on the road, which is, is fascinating to me. Now, I will say, one part of this could have been predicted, and in fact, was predicted by us multiple times on this very show. And that was that Robinson Cano was going to have a big year, right? We we looked at his exit velocity from last year, we know that he was dealing with the uh, the stomach bug and the the hernia and all that. Uh, his slugging percentage last year four forty six. His slugging percentage this year five eighty three. He might be the AL MVP.
0: He's certainly going to be in the discussion. And I've also been impressed. I mean, he's not having the kind of year he had last year, Nelson Cruz. But that was a signing I thought was doomed to fail because yeah. for me the the problem with the Mariners is always oh Safeco is death to right-handed pull power hitters. We saw this with Adrian Beltre when he was there, where he basically, like, lost three years of his career, because he was hitting all these flat balls that died on the warning track. Um, And I figured Nelson Cruz would be a disaster there. But he was obviously one of the best power hitters in the AL last year, slugging above 500 again this year. It's turned out to be a pretty effective signing for them.
1: I'm happy to admit when I'm wrong, and on the Nelson Cruz signing, I was wrong. Uh, Two other pieces that are really helping the Mariners this year. Kyle Seeger, uh, who's been a pretty good third baseman there for a couple years. His slugging percentage up from four fifty one to five twenty one this year, which is pretty big. And, shockingly, Leonis Martin, who... Uh, center fielder came over from texas last year he was known for having a really strong arm he's a good defensive outfielder this goes back to what depoto was saying he wanted to get more athletic he wanted to get better defense that's why leonis martin came in all of a sudden he's hitting the ball Right, nine home runs slug percentage up from 412 to 443 and he's he's uh, injured now but that is an unlikely source of power
0: <laughs> yeah and it's it's a fun team it's the, it's a good baseball like they've got a great fan base they've sort of as like as a a non you know west coast person there but they're a team that still stands out for sort of having a really like engaged fun fan base so it's a team that you know i like to see it's fun it's fun when the mariners do well at least for me
1: i've never been to safeco but i have been to the kingdom that's a discussion for another day (laughs) thank you for listening to the Statcast podcast i'm mike petriello he's matt Myers. please join us next week we'll have an extra special in studio fun guest. uh thanks for listening catch you then